people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. On this episode, I am talking with Nate Orloff. He is an editor. He's been editing for a long time, has done a lot of things that you have probably seen. Have you seen 10 Cloverfield Lane? Have you seen The Force Awakens? He worked on those. Have you seen John Wick 4? Maybe, maybe not, because that movie is just about to drop. He is the editor of that. And he was a great person to talk with. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I am super excited to talk with you. I'm a big fan of the John Wick films. But before we even talk about the latest John Wick, can you tell me a little bit about you and how you got into the business? I fell in love with making films in high school and went to film school. I got my big break as an assistant editor and temp sound editor at Bad Robot. So I worked on films like Star Trek Into Darkness, Force Awakens. So just little indie films then. (laughs) Yeah, indie films. No, I was, it was, I was very, very lucky to have gotten some opportunities there and to sort of grow. I kind of looked at that as like getting a master's degree. Like just, I was, I, I was in the back of the room running all the visual effects reviews for those movies. And so to watch every single visual effects shot go from version zero to version 57 with JJ talking about like what to do with each shot was like a masterclass of, of just sort of storytelling in terms of like just visual, how he would add things for to make sure you knew the scale of how so big something was. You want something, a tree, you know, all the little tricks and the wonderful visual things that that is part of his brain. And then I started editing a little bit in 10 Cloverfield Lane while I was in New Orleans. And so I worked with an editor named Stefan Grub. And then he became sort of a mentor of mine. And I kind of rode his coattails to work with Jason Reitman. So I worked on Tully. And then I worked on another movie of his. And after that, 
I was given the opportunity to edit Ghostbusters Afterlife with Dana Goberman. And that was a big, the big first big movie. And after that, it's been just this wild ride where John Mc kind of like, I landed an interview with Chad and, and we really just hit it off. Why editing though? What even got you interested in that? Was there a particular thing that you saw where you're just like, wow, that's amazing? Or what was that, that impetus? It was really stupid. This is a really dumb example from my first, first, first film. This was a Star Wars fan film. And I was in eighth grade or freshman year of high school, I forget. And we did this move where I had a lightsaber and hit someone's neck. And then I cut to a shot. I had a, like a body pillow where I put the guy's clothes on, but he didn't have a head. And then it just flopped forward. And I used the edit to sort of like trick the idea that his head fell off. And I just was like, oh, this was so cool. The fact that it looks like you hit the neck, cut to a reaction shot, cut to like just a body without head. And it's just like the power of that was just intoxicating for lack of a better word. What was your first solo feature film that you edited all yourself? It was this wonderful little film called Different Flowers. When I was at Bad Robot, JJ's assistant, Morgan Dameron, who's how's how Poe Dameron got the name Dameron. We were both wanting to grow and do something different. And so we quit at the same time. She raised money on Kickstarter. We did this little uh, road trip sister movie that I, I still love to this day. And that was my first solo feature. You also edited Worm, which I remember really liking. Oh, I'm so glad you liked Worm. I, I adore that movie. That was a fun movie. How do you approach a project like John Wick? And I think I read on your Twitter earlier that you've been working on it since June of last year. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's when I, I flew to Berlin, June of 2021. So it's been a long, long journey. One of the things I think was unique about Chad and this approach on this movie is that he didn't want someone that is edited a ton of action films. And he told me this later, uh, you know, way later. He's like, you know, when we're talking about, I don't know why we were brought up talking about the interview that I had with him. He wanted someone that would approach this from a kind of a fresh perspective. And so he told me the films that he loved and the styles that he loved and this samurai Western anime. And then also he's a huge fan of musicals. So on the flight to Berlin, I watched Singing in the Rain, which is one of his favorite films. And I was awestruck in the editing style in that it's just the edits are around the dancing. The edits are, are almost avoiding dancing where it's just showing you what the moves are. It's showing you how talented these people are. Cut. Next move. And it's not emphasizing a move. It's not emphasizing to this. And so my entire ethos on this project was to show off how good Keanu is, how good his stunt team is. And so I wasn't ever trying to punch something. I wasn't trying to make something better. I was editing around it. So it'd be hit and then someone slides, cut, then they move forward. It's never on the action. And so my, my whole process on this was to sort of get out of the way of, of how talented these people are just to show it. And that's amazing. Yeah. There's, there's that clip of, is it Liam Neeson jumping over a fence and it takes like 15, yes. 16 cuts? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. This was the antithesis of that, or the attempt to be the antithesis of that. So gosh, you've been working on this over almost two solid years. That is wild. I mean, tell me, like, are you cutting dailies? Like, what's your process to put this whole thing together? That That's crazy to me. I mean, the cool thing is, is that, you know, this was a movie that didn't necessarily change a lot in like restructuring or it didn't require a lot of reimagining or reshoots or something like that. 
there's only certain ways it can be put together where they will do enough takes and you have by the end they did really have one maybe two that are really really good all the way through and then they just move on it's less in less like a dialogue or drama where it's like sure you get three or four takes and maybe there's one gem in take one maybe there's one in, and and the whole again of the ethos around like less cuts and not as many so i would tr- i would really try to just stay on one so even if there was one move that was great and take one for just one beat i didn't use it i rather use the big long take and so a certain way there's only certain ways these things to be cut and so the process was all about sort of trimming and what are the best beats let's only really keep the best beats and that's actually it's easier said than done in terms of that's why some of the process takes a long time and a lot of times the vfx there's a big sequence in around the arc de triumph and all the stunts are real all the car hits are real but it's the background that was replaced they, they shot in a parking lot in berlin or a tarmac like an airport and so once those the cars that that had pads got replaced with actual cars the backgrounds there the sequence kind of took a different shape and there's this kinetic energy throughout the whole film and the action's non-stop so it's more about just condensing as much as we could over time now do i remember right too that a lot of the muzzle flashes that those are all put in post all, all of them wow all of them. yeah chad does not believe in blanks on set he worked on the crow that was one of his first films that he worked on and so that tragedy i think is really stuck with him and and he does not see any need for blanks on set there's no need. there's no need is it all digital blood or do you have squibs it was all digital blood okay it's one of those things like you you know you do have to do digital blood at some point but then you start if you start blending practical and not there are some shots that have blood that's there but it's nothing that's been squibs it's nothing that's explosive either someone's already dead and lying on the ground and part of it is like the shot starts on there's blood there but so then you create a style around what that blood looks like and and also i'll go to say that like john wick is a very specific kind of blood and gore i look at the movies and so does Jack, I mean, he's a huge fan of buster keaton and these and in some ways like there's these this comedy to these the action where you're just you're more impressed at the stunt work and the moves you're not supposed to be grossed out so the blood is very like misty and that's intentional design by chad it's never just like blurting and disgusting there are definitely moments where you're like supposed to be really grossed out but it's actually surprisingly not really a lot of the, the gun hits so i mentioned for economic reasons you would probably put together an entire sequence and then hand it over to the special effects team to put in the the blood the muzzle flashes all that or am i completely off base no that's what you would expect, but that's not what we did. We discovered very early on that what was so important in editorial was sound first, and we needed editorial to dictate the muzzle flashes, and and then of course impacts. So it was everything is like, all right, where's the gunshot? Where's the hit? And so the second assistant, Aliandra, she became like the queen of muzzle flashes and impacts. She just like it was like you know beautiful mind. It's like is that was she was like she just became like the persons where she had these like tracking dots in avid like tracking like muzzle flash next frame that's where it hits and then we would put sound to that and make sure it felt right make sure like the rhythm was good in terms of the scene because then we could adjust we didn't want to have vfx start putting stuff in all the stuff and then we bring it back and then we have to cut sound to it and then we discover that the rhythm's wrong so we did it the other way where we sort of dictated from sound and an editorial where the muzzle flashes and impacts you know, go. It almost sounds like a symphony of violence. It was absolutely the the timelines are bananas in terms of like, and you know, I thought Ghostbusters was complicated sound wise, but every gunshot, there's 
you know, what it hits an effort, you know, like there's like five sound effects that happen, you know? And so it's just like, you know, you get to action scene in the timeline. It's like, it's just like sound effects, like raw. I've heard relationship between an editor and a director to be kind of like a marriage where you just have to work together to try to make something from these two disparate personalities. What's been your experience as far as working with directors? I mean, everyone is so different. And, and to me, they all have their different things that they emphasize, different things they notice. Jason, for instance, he, he would notice if I did a three frame trim on a close up. He is so rhythm and emotionality and, and character focused on these things where he knows the timing so well. And he has a great memory for that. Chad is a little more big picture, but also incredibly micro with edits around action. And that's, I mean, him and I were incredibly in sync on is, is sort of the level of double cuts. And I'm so glad that he gave me those movies up front to, to get. And I, and I was at the same page, like these sort of old Jackie Chan movies, again, where you see things, there's a double cut. So you actually notice what's happening. It's not trying to speed it up. It's not cheating. It's actually the opposite. You're slowing the scene down when you have two or three frames of overlap on a cut so that you notice. And so him and I were incredibly in sync with those things. There's also a different relationship with directors where you know, I could spend all day with Jason, for instance, and he'd be in the edit room and he'd be, on, you know, he'd be on his laptop for a minute and I'd be like, Hey, I'll show you this, blah, blah, blah. Um, Chad would very much like, we'd had like really intense hour or two. And then he'd go away, like have a meeting for a long time and add tons and tons of things to do. And then at the end of the day, I'd come back, he'd show him, we'd have another intense, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. It was these like very intense, small chunks of time versus like, because like editing in front of someone can sometimes be just sort of like experimenting and this is weird and just give me a minute. It's sometimes hard. And, you know, I, Chad knows when to step away and sort of like, I'm going to let you do your thing. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear about those Jackie Chan movies because that was so important. Just the way that those Hong Kong films would really just emphasize, like you said, these stunts are just so incredible. Why not show the actors and show them doing this? And from what I understand, Ken Reeves is like right out there with the best of them doing these stunts. No, absolutely. And he has uh, such high standards for, for himself too. Some of the most interesting things that I learned from Chad too is, is to let imperfections live there are times where stuntmen in the background might not have nailed this exact timing, but again, is it worth a cut? Is it worth like breaking it up to make it more feel more artificial? And then it's, and then he has this belief is like, people are enjoying the movie. They're just, they're just going to enjoy it. And it was so crazy to be at the premiere last night. And I'm just like, yeah, people, they just go with it. It's great. I'm not a stickler for continuity. And this was, it's on that spectrum of maybe it just doesn't matter because you're enjoying the film and you're enjoying the spectacle. Yeah, I don't care if the cigarette goes from two inches to three back to one. Tell me a story. Exactly, exactly. And if you are noticing those things, someone fucked up. John Wick is known for the action, but there's also a lot of story. There's there's mythology that goes throughout all these films. How is it balancing the two between those slower moments and then those, you know, we start to ramp up the action. We start to really dive into these things. I mean, is there a point where you're just like, okay, it feels like we need to move forward now? Or how does that that relationship happen? That's one of the harder parts that took time to really sort of hone down this stuff because of the story, especially in this one, is I guess they're all in all, every John Wick movie. It's very linear. It's very, this happens, then this happens, and this happens. And if you remove one of those pieces, stuff stops making sense. So it was some experimentation in what we could lift. But the main thing was to 
always let those scenes be great scenes. There were definitely times where we pushed too far for the sake of trying to make the movie shorter. And we realized we, we broke it. We broke the scene. Sure. Maybe the movie got two minutes shorter, but now you're rushing through the scene and you're, it actually feels longer. The movie feels longer because the scenes are worse. And so that we really just focused on honing in on making each scene as captivating as it possibly could. And then what I was trying to do constantly was always make sure every single scene flowed at the end. So it just naturally propels you into the other thing so that you're left with some poignant thought on these tender moments, especially in the first half, John's contemplating the consequences of his actions, that his rampage is hurting people that he cares about. And we need to feel that with him. Yeah, I've found it very funny. People complaining about two hours and 49 minutes or something. And I'm just like, I watch Bollywood films. This is a walk in the park. (laughs) I'm just honestly a little bit surprised about a post avatar way of water. Like that people are talking about this runtime so much. And also it's without credits. It's only two hours and 40 minutes, but it was a big battle internally in terms of what's the right running time for the film in terms of, and even watching it last night, I was like, I don't know what I don't, you start again, you start breaking things. If you start lifting story beats. Okay. Yes. We could rush through the scene a little bit, but you're not going to feel it as much. Were you into action movies before doing this project? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I'm honestly a big fan of all genres. And I'm sure it didn't help, Chad, knowing that my background was in these sci-fi action films and Ghostbusters, I, I would say, is an action-adventure family movie, not completely out of my wheelhouse or, or where I'm around. And, and that was something that was I, I really relied on a lot is, is being an assistant around Mary Jo Markey and Marianne Brandon, who were experts at clarity in action, because action scenes to me have this fun thing where Mary Jo explained it to me, you should be able to explain to a five-year-old that's not looking at the movie what's happening in each shot. And it could be a simple sentence of John Runt stops, looks, cut, now cars show up. And there's these little stories and narratives you create in action and it has to be crystal clear. And so that's to me where I find my pacing and my rhythm is, is not just cutting for cutting sake is like, if you were writing in this all down in a story, each shot is a sentence. What is it saying? And making sure that you get it. Each shot has a point. Otherwise, you're just cutting for the sake of cutting. You said you flew over to Berlin. Were you over in Berlin this whole time? Yeah, I was in Berlin for four months and then Paris for two. Wow. Yeah. Are you actually like on set and, and you're not interacting with anybody, any of the actors, right? They don't allow you to do that. Incidentally, interacted with a few of them. <laughs> Like for instance, on on in, at the very beginning of the project, I didn't know who she was, but Rena, who's who plays Akira in the movie, she was just sitting next to me at Video Village, and I was like, "Oh, I love your tattoos." And she's like, "Thanks." What do you do in the movie? <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I'm the editor." She's like, "Oh." So we just started talking, and she like got up and got inside the scene. I was like, "Oh God!" And so she's great. What I would do is they would shoot nights all the time, and so I'd work normal hours, and then about seven eight o'clock, I'd go to set with my iPad to show Chad what I'm working on. You know, I would do that, you know, two, three times a week. And, and there was a few times where I was flagging things, being like, hey, I really think we need one more wide shot here. We need to go back and really shoot this. It happened only twice, but it was kind of important that I was there to flag it. And then it was good to get a sense of Chad and, and his sensibilities and, and, and show him things. Because it's if you just send stuff on online and in an email back, like, it's so much better to do in person. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you had to do a lot of that during COVID. 
Yeah. No, I've edited an entire movie over Zoom called Plan B, and I'm very proud of that movie. And Natalie and I are very close because we have <laughs> to just be on Zoom all day long together. The thing that I, I always appreciate about the John Wick films, too, is just the caliber of acting and just the caliber of actors that you have in there. I mean, yeah, Lance Reddick, of course, RIP, but like Ian McShane. I mean, just so many great people that populate these films. It was a treasure trove. I I feel so lucky to be able to edit actors of his caliber. And like you were saying earlier, in terms of like the balance of these sort of serious dialogue scenes with mythology, to me, Chad created this weird combination that I don't think anyone could have predicted of like completely taking himself seriously, deep mythology of a hitman culture and strange underworld. And he looks at this as a Greek myth, especially John McFour. We were very much doing, especially with music, we have these like choir voices for the villain. It's like they're going to see Zeus. It's these big mythic epics. And then also we have people being thrown into cars and John jumping out a window and it's like Looney Tunes for adults. It's like, this. how does this work? I don't know how this works. And it only works because the actors are so good. They keep this so grounded. They take themselves seriously in the in the roles. And in a weird way, that allows us to have fun because it feels real. Was the premiere, was that the first time that you got to see it with an audience? No, we did two preview screenings that were really fun and went really well. That was last summer. So that was, this is my third time seeing it with the audience. So what is that like when you get to actually sit down with an audience and watch your work unfolding in front of their eyes? Oh, at the first preview, people cheered at the end and I cried. (laughs) <laughs> it was like one of the most wonderful moments of my entire life. You're working on this thing in a, in a bubble. And at that point, it had been a year. So it had been, yeah, because it would be, it was like May or June 2022 we previewed. So it was like a year later after first going. And to have that release that people liked and were satisfied by the ending, your film, like, I, I, it's one of the best professional feelings I can possibly imagine. Wow. That's got to be a feel great for you. I mean, you know, it's not like we said earlier, it's not like you started on small indie films. Like you were starting in some, the big leagues, but here you are. This, I would say, this is probably a major milestone for your career to have edited this. You know, and this movie is going to be huge when it comes out. The other three have been fantastic, and I can't wait for this one to come out. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I, I agree. I'm, I'm very excited. It feels, it feels great. And it feels, and I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity and for the team that I work with. I would try to do nothing without. So it's just surreal to say the least. Do you already have your next project lined up? Yeah, I fly to London tomorrow. <laughs> wow. To do the next Ghostbusters. One thing that I really appreciate about these John Wick films too is just the the different types of people that are in the movies. I totally agree. And that's and that's another reason it's something that I, I did, you know, sort of flag that is something I'm open and wanting to talk about is that Chad does not care where a good idea comes from or a good actor. You know, they came in, did an audition. He didn't care. It was later on that people were like interviewing him, being like, "It's so cool that you cast a trans actor and blah, 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 and it's in, or non-binary actor." And then they're like, "He's like, okay, great. They're great. They did a great performance. I really enjoyed it. It was like simple. It is a good moment now that hopefully some balance is being achieved in in, in diversity in both in front and behind the camera." Chad didn't care. He didn't notice until like way later. Um, and and it just so happens that. I'm gay. My person is just gay, and my second is a is a woman. And it's just sort of, I think, a interesting thing that the to me one of the most masculine movies I could possibly imagine coming out was edited by this team. 
I just love that. And I wanted people to know like in terms of what's possible and who can do what. There are no limits in terms of what kind of stories, what kind of people can tell. Nathan, thank you so much for your time. I hope that you have a fantastic time in London working on the next Ghostbusters. And thank you for doing John Wick 4. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait for you to do it. Please, please feel free to email me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm more like Reynolds. Use my blades, how Deadpool get them. Talk shit, put some truth right in them. Up to bat like Ruth, I hit them. Stay back when I walk up to the place. You ain't me, surpass your pace. Can't keep up, but this ain't a race. I slay like Kratos, move volcanoes. Hit them with the venom like logic. Abolish, acknowledge that I be the hardest. Never modest. I'll probably end up breaking in a vault with no accomplice. I've accomplished almost everything that I've got on the list. Got some bullets coming at me. Send them back, I never miss. Bust into the scene with my guns blazing like I'm John Wick. You don't wanna fuck with us cause our guns bust quick. Bust into the scene with my guns blazing like I'm John Wick. You don't wanna fuck with us cause our guns bust quick. Bust into the scene with my guns blazing like I'm John Wick. You don't wanna fuck with us cause our guns yeah. bust quick. Got too many shells, keep the pistol in my belt. Get on your knees and I fell. Double J with the flames on fail. Double taste that we made to avail, yeah. Bust into the scene with my guns blazing like I'm John Wick. You don't wanna fuck